Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I am beyond blessed and honored to have the Dr. John McDougal join me today. How are you today, sir? Uh, you know, today I'm better than yesterday. <laughs> it's amazing. I am so happy to hear that. <laughs> and, uh, and I really mean it, too. Oh, very Every day it seems to be a little better day. That's amazing. Well, so I've had quite a year. You have had quite a year, sir. And last year, um, you had a fire and lost almost everything, if not everything. How are you doing now? Oh, pretty good. No, I, I see. I won't tell you about all the real serious things that happened. But Mary, you know, Mary and I, I have had 45 years of wonderful marriage and uh, 70 years of great life. But somehow 2017 got us. Uh, we had some uh, major injuries. Uh, which set us back quite a bit, but we're recovered and recovering. That's why I say I'm better every day. Um, yeah, and at 12.45 a.m. October 9th, 2017, I got these pounds from these three little children on my front door, which is near my bedroom door, and finally they woke me up. And they said, Grandma, you've got to get out of here. The house is burning down. Uh, of course, I was sound asleep. But I did get out with uh, my oldest pair of tennis shoes they picked and one of my old pair of pajamas and my computer, and I left. And Mary left with her phone and her purse and some real light clothes. And five minutes later, the house was gone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we lost the house. We lost three cars. We lost everything material that we everything material we had. We lost uh, except things put away in the bank, of course, and that kind of stuff. But you know what? You know, I could have. I'm sure the five thousand families that's happened to homes, and I'm sure there are many, many feelings out there, and they're all deserved. But uh, my natural tendency is to try and get. You know, to get the best out of things when I'm dealing with patients who are really, really sick or problems that are very difficult or even problems in our own family that are hard. I try and find that light size. And uh, a day or two later, I came to the correct conclusion. That is, how many people get to start their life over again at 70? <laughs> I mean, really? I, there are all kinds of things that I've been dealing with. I had to get a new roof on the house. That was going to be $80,000 this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to have to get a new paint job on the house. That would probably be about thirty, $40,000. Uh, you should have seen my closet at home. I had 20 years of suits in there. <laughs> we, had year, we had years of stuff we collected, uh, all kinds of things that I had scheduled next week to have two men with a dump with a dumpster come and clean both attics out. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, seriously, I do take it that way. Uh, we, we, weren't, we weren't hurt. Right. Uh, it was a terrible thing. And uh, now it's almost April. And I doubt if anyone, anyone touched by that fire uh, has found a way to get over it. Mm. I'm just thankful for your grandchildren. Yeah, they lost their home, too. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. yeah, many of our workers did, too. But the program, the next week we had a program scheduled at our clinic. Oh. 
okay. uh, for Century Lake, which is a big telecommunication company, where we take care of their employees who okay. come with high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, all kinds of troubles. There's a lot of weight problems. And uh, our doctors, which can mount between three and seven, depending upon how many people we have come from a company, will take care of these people during the, uh, the program, which is amounts to eight to 10 days. And like our other patients, in fact, if you want to look at our data, we have published data. We, I have seven papers published in the scientific literature. Wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, I was encouraged to do it. I don't, I don't like doing research, particularly or the uh, tediousness of uh, collecting all these numbers. But I was encouraged along the way by several people to, you know, you get these fantastic results. Why don't you get them published in a medical journal and other doctors will do it? Ha! Huh. <laughs> uh, anyway, I published an article in 2014, you can find it uh, easily in the journal Nutrition. And it's about 1,615 people. I'll repeat that number again. Because that's a lot of people I got to get to know. Wow. 1,615 people during one period of time. It was about 10 years. I've taken care of about 5,000 people personally in a living situation. Um, and about 10,000 people all together I've taken care of. So uh, we published the results. We didn't leave anybody out. No, everybody was included. Those who said they didn't follow the diet, those who uh, followed it strictly, those who had been starving before, everybody was included in it. And the results that you can look at, which have never been criticized, they were published uh, four years ago, almost four years ago, uh, show uh, average weight loss eating as much as you want of food that they love. They really do love it. Uh, the first night, they may think it's a little bland. Then they put a little salt over the top, and then, then it tastes really good. Um, the average weight loss in seven days, eating as much as they wanted. This is counting those people who gained weight. <laughs> one pounds. How many pounds? 3.1. 2.1. 3.1. Okay. So 3.1, that was like you know, mm -hmm. uh, 45,000 pounds. <laughs> oh, wow. All seven. Uh, no, 3.1 pounds on average, and uh, the cholesterol drop was 22 points on average. No change in medication. Uh, the blood pressure drop in people with high blood pressure was 18 over 11 millimeters of mercury. What the study says, but doesn't show in any detail, is that uh, uh, nearly 90% of people were able to reduce or stop their blood pressure medication. Mm. Yeah. As far as type 2 diabetics, uh, we essentially got yeah, at least 90% of them off all their medicine. And uh, the overall blood sugars in the program didn't change, even though it took them off their medication. Mm -hmm. So uh, people did really, really well. We've published it. That's a seven-day study, and some people are skeptical. Oh, that's just seven days. Anyway, you can do it for seven days. Well, I raised some money. We have a research and education foundation, which you can find on our website and any extra money you have laying around. You can just donate to this 501c3 tax-free. I will put a link. Tax-free foundation. I'll pay for more studies. But anyway, we took that money and we came to Oregon Health and Science University, which uh, is where I live now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at OHSU, right yep. here. And we took the money about, uh, oh, it's about seven years ago. 
And we took all three quarters of a million dollars and gave it to their researchers with my instructions, which is that they have to eat the way we suggest. And the way they'll do that is they'll comply by having the study people initially come to my clinic and stay for the, the, uh, the period of time that we're on the clinic. And that, in this case, it was 10 days. So uh, all of these people came and stayed, no special instruction, they just came to the clinic. And uh, we had a chance to study them, not we, those guys over there, OHSU. They, because I had nothing to do with it after that, I just taught them. Uh, they had a chance to study these people and they saw miracles they'd never seen before. Mm. Now, it never hard for them to admit it, but they did. Uh, the average weight loss was 20 pounds at the end of a year. At the end of a year, the average, these people didn't even come for weight loss. Uh, they came for multiple sclerosis. Yeah. The average yeah. cholesterol drop was 22 points at the end, end of a year with no other help. I mean, basically they came, learned to diet and 85% of them were found to be Compliant for a year, 85% were compliant. Why? Well, because the food's good, tremendous, delicious food. Mm -hmm. Mashed potatoes and pasta and marinara sauce and uh, a couple of our famous veggie burgers and all kinds of cereals, really good stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it was actually on the website, which is drmcdougal.com. Yeah. Good idea. What we serve. Well, they like the food there. They, of course, love the companionship. They can't believe what happened to Joe sitting next to him, whose uh, kidneys improved, or Jane sitting next to her, whose uh, greasy skin went away that had given her acne for 40 years. You know, the, the miracles that happen are absolutely amazing, except for one thing we fixed the problem. <laughs> the problem's the food. People are sick because yeah. they eat. Now listen carefully, anybody, any of your friends who are listening, they need to hear the following two or three sentences. Uh, People in the United States of America, Canada, China now, India now, almost all the rest of the world, certainly more than half the population of the planet, are sick for the same reason. Reason, yeah, reason, I think reason, I'm sorry, it's not plural. It's the food, it's the food. A long time ago, and I've got historical records going back 4,000 years for the pharaohs and the priests and the queens of Egypt who ate the rich food, who got uh, studies of the mummies, found half of them, they could find their arteries had atherosclerosis, which leads to heart attacks and strokes. They found gallbladder disease. They found uh, obesity. They found all kinds of diseases that are epidemic. I mean, diseases occur in 80% of our population. 80% are overweight, 38% are obese. Probably 80% have significant atherosclerosis when they get adult to adulthood. <clears throat> so they had diseases that are common in our country, but there are only a few of these rich people. There are only a few kings and queens. Mm-hmm. And over the years, over the thousands of years that passed, there were still a few kings and queens. But most people ate the common diet which is easily identified, and all of your listeners know what it is, it's a common diet of starch. If you talk about Asia, you usually identify that starch as rice. Before 1980, it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that 90% of the food on a Chinese person's plate is rice. 90% of the food, and prior to 1980. Wow. 
they had virtually no type 2 diabetes. Mm. The reason for this article was published in 2013 in JAMA, <laughs> Medical Association, is they wanted to point out the change that took place in the last 35 years. <clears throat> they wanted to show how the Chinese population is now obese and sick like Americans. Uh, they have the second largest number of Tesla supercharger stations in the world. China does. They are so rich, they work for it. But along with it, they have developed a population where they reported in 2011 in JAMA, <clears throat> the 12% were diabetic, frankly diabetic, and half were pre-diabetic. Those numbers have increased. Uh, the numbers in younger people have drastically increased. This has happened all over the world, and that's why people are sick. They eat like kings and queens. They don't eat like the common person. For example, in Central America, the Aztecs and the Mayans, they're known as the people of the corn. They fought battles. They competed in athletic events. They bore children. Uh, you know, they did everything to excellence, physically and mentally, for 1,300 years getting corn as their basic source of calories. Mm -hmm. And if I say Asia, you say rice, and I say South America, you go, oh, well, they're, they're the potato eaters, mm -hmm. the potato eaters. And as, as, as you're thinking these thoughts, as I'm saying these words, you're going, I like all those foods. They just tell me not to eat it because they're fattening and sickening. They'll make you fat and sick and give you diabetes. They will do that, they say. But that's 100%. Is that untrue? Mm. And just by the same way I told you, there's virtually no type of that in China before 1980. So what do you recommend people who, when they hear these things, that the white rice causes diabetes, the yeah. white potato, or what is some of the, because there are some indications, I guess, I guess because they're eating now more of, of course, the animal products and the oils and increases insulin resistance, which you'll see a spike of diabetes with that. But how do you, how do you, Discuss that with people. What do you say? What do I say? It's, it's a hard sell, especially since everybody's selling something else. And I mean, there used to be a time back in the late 60s, 70s, early 80s, when carbohydrate diets ruled. There was Nathan Pritikin. Uh, you know, people understood a diet of starch, starch, rice, corn, potatoes, beans, was the diet people were supposed to eat. People understood that in the 1970s, and then industry understood that people were understanding this, and they thought about the tobacco industry and what happened to them when they were outed. People stopped smoking. Mm -hmm. and when the uh, alcohol industry was outed, they stopped having two martini lunches. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, the, the industry didn't want people to find out the truth. So they have worked with many, probably billions of dollars certainly hundreds of millions of dollars, to advertise in various ways uh, the rich Western diet and to make sure n no one understands that 90, 80-90% of the diseases people have are curable by changing their diet. Now, they don't do this as a conspiracy. They're not out trying to hurt people. They're just doing business. They just want to sell milk and cheese and yogurt and beef and pork chops and and the, the, the guys and gals cleaning up the mess, the doctors and the hospitals and the pharmaceutical companies, they have no reason to interfere and straighten people as far as the truth goes. 
uh, your, your most profitable businesses in your town are your medical businesses. I mean, just look around you. You know, as I say, the biggest business in town is OHSU. Biggest, prettiest buildings in town are OHSU. Whatever your town is, the biggest building in town, the brightest, probably most frequent building, biggest employer in town is your hospital, your cancer center, your heart disease center. These are cash cows. I wonder how that fits in. <laughs> I, anyway, <laughs> that's not a good name for hospitals. It starts out cash cows. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That, that's uh, it's, it's just money, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody's trying to hurt you, or your husband, or your wife, or your kids. Uh, so it's it's a hard sell because so much effort is going into telling you a lie, and uh, there's no effort into going to tell you the truth. It just isn't. Okay. So uh, when I come to somebody who's sick, the word is getting out. Let's face it. I, I have to say on one side that I've been at this for 40 years, this alone. I've been teaching diet and practicing what you would call diet and lifestyle medicine. I've been changing people's diets for 40 years. As I tell you, I've taken care of more than 10,000 people and in a living situation, more than 5,000. Uh, people are finding out. You know, they're, they're, they're getting the last glimpse of what life really should be like and used to be for millions of years. Oh, everybody was trim and they were warriors and they protected their children and their family. And they did all of this on barley mm -hmm. or corn, some other grain or, or some kind of root vegetable. And the, all the evidence is there. I mean, there are hundreds of scientific archaeological articles that show that people were all star cheaters, except, except for those who lived in the extremes, like the Inuit Eskimo for the last... 50,000 years, they did survive on an animal-based diet. It just proves just how tough the human being is. Right, absolutely. But there, there, there are just a few of these exceptions. It's just, just to make maybe 100,000 people you can find ever mm -hmm. live that way. Absolutely. So, and you kind of spoke to it a little bit. So I know you certainly have frustrations with the current medical system and the public and large, but what are your, what are the positive things you see happening? I mean, you, you've kind of alluded to it that things are changing. Positive? Yeah. Be positive. What do you find? <laughs> After the fire, right? Yeah. At least I don't have to go right to the funeral home. That's something positive. I get to stop in the ER before I go to the funeral home. There are lots of positive things about medical doctors and hospitals, and they should be used in full force. Mm -hmm. uh, these are, are treatments to take care of things like accidents. Mm -hmm. where you cut yourself badly or get a fracture. Uh, you need help. You need just plain old mechanical medical help. When you get an infection, uh, you get tremendous help from the medical business, pharmaceutical companies, by lancing the abscess and putting the... Uh, antibiotics in the bloodstream. So there are some things they have to do. Uh, they can be classified, narrowed to a category called acute illness. <clears throat> Just like with heart disease. If somebody has a sudden heart attack, a sudden blood clot form in their coronary artery, uh, if you get in there within 90 minutes, 90 minutes, all right, I'll give you six hours. <laughs> 
if you get in 90 minutes, you can dissolve that clot. You could probably improve people's lives. But let's just go that far. Let's just give it to them. Within 90 minutes, after 90 minutes, the clot's fully formed, the tissue's fully dead in the heart. It's too late. So uh, treatment of chronic coronary artery disease, as is most of the treatment administered for, almost all your angioplasties, your bypass surgeries, are done for chronic coronary artery disease, not for a sudden heart attack. And they put so on the diagnostic sheet, ascending angina or some other made-up term that makes it more legitimate for them to collect illegal fees for doing procedures they shouldn't do. Because every single article published, ever published, every single significant article shows that surgery for chronic coronary artery disease does not save lives. You, do, you know it as a doctor. Every other doctor knows it. No doctor will deny it. Yeah, there are... This is, this is a multi-billion dollar year business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so you asked me how do I get them to change. Uh, I find people that like themselves. That's a very important quality. You have to like yourself to quit smoking, quit alcohol, not put a gun to your head, etc. You have to care about yourself. So once you find out you're 80 pounds overweight and people laugh at you on the beach and that you've got to stop every uh, six hours and put a shot of insulin in your leg, uh, you know, once you realize that these things are things that you don't have to do, in most cases, you don't have to be overweight. In most cases, it's really easy. Once they discover there's this option, but believe me, it's kept a secret, as we've talked about. And can more. Uh, then people like themselves. They go, why not? <laughs> I like bean burritos. I like pizza without cheese. I like pasta marinara sauce. I, you know, I like bean soup, pea soup, tomato soup, oatmeal, hash brown potatoes. I mean, I like all those things. Why don't I just, hey, I tell you what, I'll give it 10 days. Yeah, you get the same results that we've published. Hmm. Always happens. That's incredible. On average, always happens. So as far as, I mean, you've had some amazing results, but do you see anything positive on the horizon as far as the public understanding of diet and physicians coming on board? I mean, I think I see the tide shifting, but I don't know. What do you think from, because you've had this 40 years of experience. You're still still young out of medicine. No, I'm almost 50. I am my kids. I have a daughter in medical school and one that's, she's 24, 22 and a 20 year old. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I can't carry on this conversation. What do, you, what do you do for yourself? What do you eat? How long do you do that? Hmm, maybe it's all that green stuff and starch. I do eat a lot of starch. So. <laughs> you, you, you know, this is either a, a very bad computer or you have done something very good. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, you've, you've lost me on the question. Um, I was, what is your, what do you son, see in the horizon? What do you see on the horizon? My son is a professor at OHSU. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to him. Oh, yeah, okay. He's an <laughs> Nice guy. Uh, good. I, you've made a good friend. He's an amazing guy. <laughs> uh, we talk about this, and quite honestly, he's practicing standard medicine with a hint of the truth uh, because he doesn't want to be criticized by his colleagues, and he doesn't want to be known as the, the diet doctor, not right now in his life. But he certainly is known as somebody who uses, who uses the, the trends in treating that you and I use. 
Mm-hmm. He's not known like me. When they look at me, they go, oh, there's a doctor that takes everybody off medications. There's the doctor that won't let patients get their breasts cut off. There's the doctor who told my neighbor not to have his heart operated on. You know, I mean, really dramatic things. They don't do that to him yet. They say, well, you know, Craig has a real knowledge and interest in uh, in uh, good health and good nutrition. And he doesn't prescribe very many medications, and he really doesn't. Mm-hmm. He prescribes fewer medications than I do. Uh, so he says that there's some interest, but not much. Not really, not much. And the problem, problem is this. You know, I, I'm mistaking you as the best of resident age. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're so sweet. Yeah, well, 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 right here. It, it's early in the morning. Uh, when you're a student, when you think about going to medical school, you go for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I want to help people. I want to make a difference. And yeah, I bet all of us thought, I'd like to make a good living too, because it is a good place to make money. Not the best, but a good place. And uh, you went in with the right attitude, you were as poor as dirt, or you only had a couple of pairs of Levi's. And... <laughs> Remember the days. And then, and then you graduate, you went to residency, and they still paid you uh, a numb sum of money, barely able to support yourself. But at least supported you. Catch enough to buy food, and then you got out and practice. You started having kids and a house and a car, and you started having to pay for these things. And the kids wanted to go on vacation, and they wanted to buy baseballs, and oh, you had all these financial demands. <laughs> and you started thinking about what you could do in your practice to increase that part of the business. So you have to it's just business. So just like the the milk industry and the beef industry and the uh, Lipitor industry. You know, all these people aren't doing this to hurt you. They're just trying to make money. And so the doctor says, well, let's see, I could get one of these gadgets in here and, and push this button and shoot a few of these waves into them and I can charge them $300 instead of talking to them where I can only charge them, you know, you understand. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we all get trapped into uh, the money part of the business. Very few. I, I, I actually know in my whole career, including myself, of very few doctors, I include myself as those who are interested in money. Uh, I'm not a person who lives in a shack and has a broken down bicycle only. <laughs> I have a couple of friends like that, but they haven't seen them in years. Uh, anyway, that, that's the way the business runs. You as a patient know that. You need to go to the doctor with the same attitude you go to the used car salesperson with. You don't walk in there to the car lot and say, what car should I buy? Mm-hmm. You know, you ask questions. You go home, do a little research. Think about it. Is that what I really want? Uh, you know, we don't. When it comes to buying a new refrigerator, we make sure we check out all the lines, consumers reports and so on. Doctor says, you need your chest cut open. I need to put a uh, a stent in there or a graph in there and you go what day what time I, I think i know i can get off work mm-hmm. or you need your your right breast cut off and we might as well take your left yeah uh, you know yes yes doctor what time what time oh you can't do it until two months from now that'll be fine doctor i'll keep my schedule open <laughs> 
Yeah, Excuse I... me. Something is wrong here between customer and provider. Something is wrong. So I, do I think things improving? Not enough to tell you I do. Hmm. You know, we, yeah. did a, we did a study. I told you uh, I'm up in Portland now. And OHSU is like almost spitting distance from me. <clears throat> that study I did, did at OHSU, mm -hmm. uh, it was probably f about five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they were amazed, the professors at, of neurology. Would, but first of all, when they saw the initial one of your results, they said, you will not believe this. These people, 85% of them adhered to the diet for a year. We've never seen it. We've never seen people take pills that consistently for a year. And I heard them a long time at OHSU Neurology Department say, we're going to be known as the Diet MS, MS Center of the World. The Diet MS Center of the World we're going to be known as. Well, today I was reading in the Lancet, the journal Lancet, a paper about how uh, improvement in the progression of MS has not been shown to be effective. The drugs do not slow the progression of the disease. <clears throat> they change secondary components, like the number of relapses. But as far as the total degeneration to bed and grave, the drugs do not change. They are not effective. Right. And this new drug that just came out, they just did a commentary in today's Lancet. Hmm. And uh, I think today's the 29th of March, isn't it? There you, now, you can look it up if you want. Commentary <laughs> said the treatments are ineffective. So what did I do right after I got done reading the article? I pushed forward and sent the article to my two principal investigators, the head of neurology and my principal investigator, which is right there. DJ, right? I don't to touch it. And I said, uh, uh, when is uh, OHSU uh, neurology department going to become known as the Diet MS Center of the World. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, especially since all the other treatments are criminally expensive, $75,000 a year for the drug, and they've not been shown to, be, to work in the way the patient wants, which is to slow the progression to bed, disability, and death. I wonder what kind of reply I get. That's probably, that's probably on my computer now. My principal investigator usually answers my snide comments. I mean, why aren't we known as the diet center of the, of the world? It was discovered here at OHSU. We used to diet to stop MS. Where well, I swear I discovered it. Mm -hmm. Worked on it in the, uh, in the uh, early and mid-1900s. He took care of 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. He found that you could stop MS, and he told me basically every case. I asked Dr. Swain. We were in his basement office right over there about uh, 20 years ago. We, we, became, we, were, we afraid. We'd been in France for 20 plus years. He's, he's died since. But I've got this on video, by the way, old home video. So you, you can watch them. So it's on my website if you want to watch it. You, you can watch it. I said, Dr. Swank, how often does the treatment fail of putting people on a starch base? I call it starch base. He was called a low saturated fat. Saturated fat are animal products. When anybody says saturated fat, they're talking about eggs and dairy and meat. So he talked about it as a low saturated fat diet. I talked about his starch-based diet. Uh, I said, oh, how often does it fail? 
I said, well, maybe one or 200 times. Mm. And these people over here know it. Mm-hmm. When I first came to OHSU with our research project, uh, they didn't have, I, I don't think, I didn't perceive them having good thoughts about Dr. Swank. He was head of neurology there for 23 years. But after being there for several years, me being there for several years as part of this research project, and then seeing over 60 people involved in this diet change, they know the truth now. Mm-hmm. But what I ask every time I see them, you know, you got the truth that diet will stop the disease. Mm-hmm. And then you got the published article today from The Lancet that says the drugs don't work. How, how could a moral person do anything but the right thing? Right. I, gotta get that. I, I would, I would show, change, I'd change the lens over there and show you how big and beautiful that, that, that hospital is setting in. Oh. In, in, you, think there, you would think there was a point that we had as human beings where we would stop. And I think that discussion I just gave you is cause enough, concern enough for people to do the right thing. You know, I, I actually have hope for this younger generation. So my daughter and her fiancé are both plant-based, and they want to do the right thing even with How do they make the diet. I'm sorry? How will they make money? I think there's going to be ways. I'm more hopeful. Did you know I... How they make their money. Oh, how will they make their money? No, I think They're going to have to change reimbursement. We can't keep doing fee for service. I mean, we're going to... We can't. There's just no way. That's changing. Children are in a time of life when they don't understand reality. Sorry. <laughs> I have grandchildren at that age, uh, great. And they're also going to end all wars and they're going to change the administration. And, well, they're going to do all of these things. <laughs> I will. I was there once too. I, I will have to say, I was in regular practice in Colorado and incorporated this heavily into my practice and still did well. People actually were seeking me out for help. Um, what's interesting, though, I went to I went to college in Portland and did and I did research at OHSU twenty years ago, yeah. twenty five years ago now, and I was in the anatomy department there. But I didn't realize Dr. Swank was there. But I've spoken to your principal investigator Vijay too on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she's very sweet. Um, so I understand. So why, so why doesn't she practice like I taught her how to? Tell me. I don't know. She's my friend. She's I my friend. I, I love her. She's a wonderful person. She knows this exactly. She knows I'm telling the truth. She will tell you that what I say is true. Uh, she never denies it, but why does she continue doing what she does? I'm, I'm asking you. I, I don't have the answer. I don't know why. I, I know once that I've found... She has to make a living. But besides well, true. I don't have an answer. She likes being working in neurology. That's fun. She likes to be a doctor. But if her goal was to cure her patients, mm-hmm. I don't really, I really shouldn't personally be picking on her because this is a general statement I offer to all of my colleagues. Right. If you cared, if you really cared, you get a side job to make money and you teach people to cure their disease. Little kids who are obese, 17% more obese, you yeah. teach them how not to be obese. Right. You, you would cure people in their teenage years who are now in wheelchairs for MS. You go find a job, maybe at a racetrack, and get your money, and then do what you really are supposed to do 
-hmm. as a doctor. Yes. Now tell me why our colleagues don't do this. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you why I, I do do it, but there's reasons. You are one in 10 million. But you know what? I don't think they know how to start. So I have an MBA learning. I understand the business aspect, but also I think they needed help. I have, I have plenty of physicians reach out to me. How do you do it? How do you, how do I, in a busy family practice, I'm family practice. How do I actually incorporate this and make a living? And there are ways. I actually, well, I ended up starting a lifestyle medicine clinic after hours also. Yeah. And in Western Colorado, my first meeting, just an informational meeting, I had 106 people show up for 30 slots. So there is hope. So people will learn, but you can, but you can build. There is ways to do it. You are 50. I am 70. There's <laughs> <laughs> more naiveness to be taken away. <laughs> Uh, I, oh my I, goodness! I, what you're saying to these people who are listening is you and I. Uh, but uh, let me finish. We took a different route. Your idea that there's no way for doctors to learn to practice this way is not true. Uh, they could figure it out just like I did. I figured it out how to practice this way over my career. Hey, I'm, I'm no special genius. I just had an interest and I figured out how to do it. I figured several ways how to do it. And if, if you uh, know who I am and you have some value in my work, you'll look through my newsletters and you'll there'll be a whole newsletter which tells is about how my colleagues will can set up a profitable practice using the kind of dietary change that I recommend. Can make tons of money in the current setting. It's one of my newsletters I wrote about three years ago. Terry, thing about how you've already done it, but you've done it in your own ways, but how other physicians can do it and uh, feel good about themselves. So they could. I'll tell you, I, let's, let's, let's just, we're going to end this conversation. It's getting too bad. <laughs> uh, let's just say we changed the financial system. Let's just say we had a universal care like you and I think we should have because. Uh, Currently, medical care is immoral. It's uh, it's uh, the way we uh, treat people is uh, yeah, it's immoral to take a, 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 and uh, have a person get sick and offer them care that uh, takes their entire life savings away. One treatment, one treatment uh, takes all their college funds saved for the kids away. One treatment. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine. Now, one thing could happen to me. Everything I have saved would be gone. Could be. Right. Right. Things would go well. That is not a just system. Immoral people run that system. Yeah. Now, let's just say you and I were in charge. <laughs> we did our own tweets. <laughs> and let's just say we decided what we were going to do is, we, and this was tried once, uh, probably when you first started, uh, <clears throat> was... Uh, we paid people uh, on a per patient basis. I forgot what we called it. It's about 20 years ago. I would pay the physician a certain number of dollars for each patient, and the patient would gather a group of, say, two or 3,000 people, and he or she would get a bucket full of money at the beginning of the year, and everything that went wrong with the patient, they would have to pay for. Mm -hmm. you know what that was called? Bundled payments or... Yeah, or ACOs too. Are you yeah. talking about ACOs? That, that's, that's what it should be is, is you should be rewarded for a herd, a flock, a group. Mm -hmm. 
you know, a bunch of patients that you keep well. Right. So say, say, for example, you gave me 200,000, or no, you have to give me that. Say you gave me a million dollars a year and I had to take care of all the snotty noses, all the heart problems, all the breast cancer surgeries of a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And I got to keep the rest. Hey, I'd be having morning meetings before breakfast or before our meeting of, with oatmeal and hash browns. I'd, I'd have uh, after dinner meetings after our pasta dinner with my patients. We'd be having meetings three times a week. <laughs> That's the only way you can change it to a fair system. Mm-hmm. Is you have to change who gets rewarded and why. Right, absolutely. No, I. And you're not going to change the basic human nature of human beings. Human beings are the way we are because that's the way we're built. So rather than cha- trying to change the human being, why don't we just change the rules? You do, have- you do it. I'm 70, you're 50. You got time. <laughs> I'm closing in on 50, not quite, but close. Um, I will tell you, but that's- oh, There you go, I know it. You're probably only 32. 40, I'll be 48 this year. Oh, see, I mean, you should have seen me when I was 68. I, was, I looked like I was 18. <laughs> well, I hope to be the same way, but I will tell you a really good example of that. My son, who's 19, um, crashed into a tree um, about last month snowboarding, and we were between insurances. We had moved cross country from Florida, Washington state, where I am now. And, um, he had in that 18 period where we did not have insurance, he had that accident. And so we had to pay a Cobra. So we will have coverage, but his, if we didn't have that option of Cobra, $82,000 for that three day hospital stay. Gone. That's his exactly four years at the university of Colorado where he goes. And, um, I mean, it's, that would be absolutely devastating. And that, this isn't a healthy kid, by the way, who's plant-based, all the kids are, um, had such great, he's growing so well and healing so well, no pain that his physical therapist has made comments about, huh, maybe I need to go on a plant-based diet as well. But he's been a great, you know, but that you're exactly right. The system is broken in the sense that we can't provide the care that we need and we're doing sick care. We're not doing health care. It's very active, but absolutely. So. You know, I, I, just just to give you one overall comment, you know, I have been in this business probably you know, maybe twenty years, if not thirty years, longer than you have. And uh, you know, I've watched things change. Um, there was time, like in the seventies, uh, when when we were talking about universal health care. Surgeon General's uh, reports started coming out. Actually, the U.S. Dietary Goals came out in 1977. So I had a lot of hope. I I was probably more optimistic than you are right now. I'm sure I was. But uh, I kept waiting and waiting into the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And now we're in the approach to 2020. And I want to tell you, it's not changed. It's not better. The patient is at more risk. It costs more money. Overall, things are worse, not better. Mm. Uh, there were, um, you know, the, the first heart, heart surgery, uh, popular heart surgery, was done at Cleveland Clinic in 1968. And in uh, 1990, they were doing about 300,000 in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing about a million. Wow. 
Oh, excuse me, angioplasties, not bypasses. Angioplasties. I think you know, the bypass was first done in '68, and the angioplasty was first done in '78. Sorry about the date. But anyway, yeah, just look at the number of procedures. That, I'll tell you another one that really, I wish I could say it, but just say it makes me mad. <laughs> it really makes me mad is that in the early 80s, I got a law passed in the state of Hawaii on informed consent. It was the third law. I did it. Uh, there were some lay people, but I was the only medical person involved. It was the third law in the U.S. The U.S. now has 18 laws of informed consent. It was a law that forced physicians to tell women that regardless of what surgery they had, they would live the same length of time. And I ended up writing a brochure, which still is handed out. It was in about 1980, 82. Yeah. Anyway, the, uh, the uh, incidents, uh, the number of mastectomies went down after that. At that time, 92% of the breast operations in Hawaii were mastectomies, 93%. And the other is the other 7% were mastectomies because they were too sick to have that operation. Yeah. So after that, after that law came out, several more, as I say, there are at least 18 laws of informed consent to help women. They're not forced. <clears throat> They're just there. Yeah. Uh, the incidence mastectomy went down to about, uh, about 40%. And wow. 60% were lumpectomies. But I want to tell you now, today, over the last 10 years, the incidence of mastectomies is rising rapidly. I mean, just, it's something that's happened that I can't even believe. When everybody, every study, everything says this is a mutilating operation that does not save lives. It went down when the truth first came out in the, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. But just as soon as they were able to forget it, the breast cancer surgeons are back at it. Mm. Oh, you can't have a lockpickly. Mastectomy is much better. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to go into those details. So, no, I don't think things are better. <laughs> and yes, I think my colleagues are wonderful people. Yeah. They're just like me. Motivated with the things I am, they're just like me. It's just that they didn't have the fortune and opportunities I had, which allowed me to make a change that you're asking. How will our colleagues do it? Yeah. Well, we have to change the financial system. True. Yeah. How do we do that? <laughs> this show is not about that. <laughs> I think there's many creative elements that we could probably take to help improve the system, for sure. But I know we said 45 minutes, so I'm going to keep to that. And thank you, Dr. McDougall, so much for your time today and insight and energy. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, I knew you'd be a fiery one, and I love it. So thank you so much, and I do appreciate your time. Uh, just wait till you get me later in the day. Um, <laughs> okay, it was nice to talk to you and your audience. I'm, I'm glad to know that. You're among several. There are, there are other doctors. I had a breast cancer surgeon write me a month ago and said, after listening to me for 22 years and chopping off breasts, she quit. She, mm. she said, today I quit. After 22 years doing mastectomies, I won't do them anymore. And I asked her to join me more publicly, and she so far hasn't. But I, I get a letter, you know, email from one doctor or another once in a while. So I know there are a few of us out there. In proportion to the regular practice of medicine, what would I guess it is? 
Uh, it's probably less than a hundred thousand, but one in a hundred thousand of us. Certainly less than one in ten thousand of us put any effort into. I mean, seriously, people change their diet. Would you agree with those figures? I don't know because do you, you know Dr. Scott Stoll and the Plantation Project? Yes, so, and I've been to the meetings. Yeah, they they're growing. 300, 500 doctors. How many doctors do you think are in the U.S.? There were 900 last year, and they're expecting over 1,200 this year. Well, um, 1,200. But how many doctors are there? What, 800,000, I think, in the U.S.? At least. Yeah. yeah so. you, you get my point. If it, was, if it was the right thing to do for the right amount of money, uh, I knew this back in the 70s. Nathan Pritikin practices this fully in the 70s. Everybody knew about Nathan Pritikin in the 70s. Everybody knew about the treatment in the 70s. I'm sorry. I can't hear <laughs> more excuses. I got you. I have a website. I think it's the best website out there. I mean, the best compared to Ford, GM, Kroger's. I think we got the best website on, on, on the market. You have a great website. I actually used it when I first was transitioning to my practice to plant-based. Uh... Go to drmcdougall.com, use the search engines, use the hot topics. And uh, I have written, I wrote newsletters once a month on a subject, different mm -hmm. subject, this mm -hmm. month, 38 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we have hundreds of videos. Uh, you know, I probably have 50 videos on the website. All this is easy to learn. Yeah. <laughs> I in the beginning, I watched almost probably all your videos and read many, many, many of your articles because I wasn't sure how to incorporate this into practice. Did you so. find any mistakes? Hmm? Did you find any mistakes? No, I, I actually implemented a lot what you said. I, I've talked to my colleagues. <coughs> I've talked to my colleagues about this for a long time. And some people have come up to me and say, you know, I look up your references to see whether you're exaggerating or not. Mm -hmm. Like Dr. So does, one of, my, one of our you know, uh, buddies in the, in the plant business. He, he cheats. He lies about the references. But I'm not going to tell you who he is. There are probably several, but one of them I know. So anyways, uh, she's a doctor. She says, uh, uh, I look up all this other doctor's references, and he, he cheats. He, he lies. He exaggerates. And you were talking a lot for a while. I said, wait a minute. How about my references? How about my articles? Oh, yeah, I look up all your references. Oh, your articles, too. I said, did you find any exaggeration or cheating or lying? He said, no. It's like, did you expect me to? <laughs> right. uh, anyway, resources there, drmcdougall.com. Yeah. And thank you for the opportunity to talk to your, your uh, colleagues, friends. Yes, sir. What is the advantage of your knowledge? It's been a good thing, and uh, thank you so much.